Welcome. How are you all doing? Wow, that was a that was a good 9 a.m. Hello. Um, how many folks have uh, started their Christmas shopping? Made some progress at least. Put a dent in it. Excellent. You're done. I know. I know Michael Eller doesn't start till Christmas Eve, so he has some time, right? Yep, that's good. Yeah, we we my wife and I did a little bit last night, and uh, while we were out, I got a pair of shoes. And I opened them up to try them out today, and uh, lo and behold, two left shoes that were two different sizes. <laughs> so it just was not working for me. I was, um, there was some poor schmuck out there with two right shoes of different sizes. I was talking with Renee Robinson this morning. We, we, we determined that I have a, a soulmate out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. The problem is Renee laughed when I said it, so then I had to share it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but welcome. Uh, I see some, a lot of uh, faces I recognize, also some new faces. It's so good to see folks I don't recognize. Um, here at Sound City, um, the really way to get plugged in and know folks is um, via community groups. That's our kind of expression of community. It's awesome to be here on Sunday to attend, to hear the teaching of God's Word. But uh, community groups is really where you get to know folks. Um, I know right now, we, my community group, we just did our yearly uh, taproot theater and night out at a restaurant and had a lot of fun. And then in a couple of weeks here, we'll be doing our Christmas party where I get to invite some neighbors and get to know them better. So um, if, um, if you aren't plugged in with the community group, I would just invite you to go out to the Connect Desk out there. And Myong would just be happy to, to get you connected and get to, get to know you and, uh, and plug you in. Um, let's see... Um, yeah, so uh, this week, we, uh, Pastor Aaron is at Cross and Crown in Seattle, and we have the treat of having um, Matthias Hoysel here to join us, and I'm pumped. Did I say your name right? Yes. Yes. First, I tell that awesome joke, and now I say his name right. That's, that's a good morning. That's awesome. Um, so, um, yes, we have partnered with Cross and Crown a lot, um, especially recently. We did summer camps for our youth kids, and then we also did a... Uh, kind of a sleepover at their church in the last month or two, so it's excited to have him here. Um, I'm going to invite Renee up for, for reading of the Word. She's going to be reading in 1 Peter 3, and uh, please prepare your hearts for the receiving of his Word. Good morning. The Word of God, 1 Peter 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, <clears throat> all of you have unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, an opportunity to come and be with your people. Come and hear from your word uh, what we need most, and that is to hear from you and, and to understand who you are and what you've done and what you will do. And Father, I pray this morning as I 
uh, preach, would you open my mouth that I could speak rightly, that I could teach in a way that would make much of Jesus and that would be helpful to us. And I pray for each one listening to this, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, and you would make us receptive to hear and to respond in faith to what you want to teach us this morning. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy second Advent. It is uh, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, again, uh, my name was pronounced correctly, which was absolutely amazing. So uh, as he was happy about his joke and uh, pronouncing my name right, I thought, oh, he nailed it, just like Luther. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta, like, up my game here uh, coming to you guys. I, I love Pastor Aaron. Uh, we've been friends for about four and a half years. Uh, we've been through a lot together. And uh, as was mentioned, even our churches now are doing youth ministry, student ministry together, and it's really, really a blessing to us. Uh, I want to figure out how to do more of that, uh, because as we're in the U District, not a lot of students. You guys have all kinds of children. I was talking with Michael a little bit, uh, how you guys have just a huge percentage of kids. I guess this is what happens when you come into the suburbs. Uh, The other thing that happens when you come into the suburbs, things are clean, which is fantastic. Uh, so I don't know about you, but like uh, when I in- entered uh, ministry, I did not know that part of my Sunday routine would be cleaning up uh, human, well, can I say that? Like, well, let's use a polite technical term. Uh, cleaning up human feces every week was not part of my job description when I dreamt of becoming a pastor. Uh, however, that is now uh, very much a reality of what we do. So uh, if you ever want to come and uh, visit us, I promise. <laughs> I promise we cleaned it up. We show up at 6 a.m. And uh, I mean, I feel very much at home. For five years in Austin, we did set up teardown and so tried to figure out how to survive. We were in, a, in an old nightclub, which was a lot of fun. Uh, there was more cleanup, I promise you, that, there than there is here. Uh, these high school students are wonderful. Uh, I am from Germany, so if you're like, man, what's that weird name? What's that weird accent? That's where it's from, Germany. All right. Uh, come from a very devout family, which is not normal. Uh, in Germany right now, the area that I grew up in is 0.3% churched. That's crazy, right? Even downtown Seattle is about 5% churched. And so that's, that's the, the level of Christianity in Europe right now, which is pretty crazy. Uh, come from an interesting background. On the one hand uh, is my mom's side, and my mom's uh, father, so my grandfather, was a part of the German military. He served in special forces. He was a mountain ranger, fought, fought on the Russian front, and actually was a POW uh, on the retreat from Stalingrad. He got captured. His uh, mother-in-law, so my great-grandmother, was a full-blown witch. That's a bummer. All right. Now, on my dad's... I I, I don't know. Just put it like I see it, right? On my dad's side, however, uh, his dad, so my grandfather, was a conscientious objector, part of the confessing church, and he absolutely loved Jesus. And his mom, so my great-grandmother on my dad's side actually founded an inner-city mission in Frankfurt. Uh, And so my grandma led my mom to the Lord. My dad and my mom got married. And here I am preaching to Sound City. Uh, Glad to be with you guys. 
it is time to talk about peace. That's what I was assigned by the guys. They all picked something, and then I was left over. So by definition, I got peace. And they're like, hey, do uh, you talk about peace? We'll pick all the fun ones, like love and joy and really? Peace. All right. Uh, in this world, peace is something that's somewhat elusive, is it not? Right? I mean, and it's not, we don't even have to really look too far outside of ourselves to see that peace is this tricky thing that we all long for, and for whatever reason, none of us can find. Peter, uh, right, he actually says, he starts this, this uh, quote out of Psalm 34. By saying, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Do we ever? Yeah, we want to love life. Yeah, we want to see good days. And then he goes on and describes, this is what this is going to look like. See, Peter is writing to churches in Pontus and Galatia. He's writing to all these Christians who are experiencing persecution. They're experiencing suffering. They're experiencing the absolute absence of peace and he's writing to them and he says this is the good life and they're like okay what's the good life tell me about the good life right if if i think about how would people in our world define the good life well they probably define it with a full 401k right they would probably define it with i'm healthy right i'm healthy i have enough money and i can just kind of sort of self-determine my future that's the good life. I have enough money to have fun. I have enough money to have an interesting life. My life is well ordered. My life is really exciting, right? It depends kind of like, uh, this is the suburbs. And so in the suburbs, I think it's like, I like my little house and my little yard and my little lawn and my little neighborhood and everything well ordered. That's the good life. And I go to work to add to my 401k so that I can live the good life longer. That's the goal. And I plan and I I go like, and I just go to great length to protect how my life has to look. If you go downtown, the good life is a little different. The good life is self-medicating into a stasis. That's really all it is. Like, my life is so out of control, the good life is not remembering all the bad things that are going on right now, right? And so you have drug abuse, and you have alcohol abuse, and you have relational abuse, all in an effort to somehow arrive at the good life. (laughs) Peter didn't have that in mind. See, he's not talking about a good life as we might define it, a good life as I or you might define it left to our own devices. Peter is talking about a good life, about a life that is good in the eyes of the Lord. In Peter, he gives us three things, right? He starts with talking about that the first thing you need to do is you need to keep your tongue from evil. So you need to shun sin, right? He says, turn away, verse 11, from evil evil. But not only that, number two, he says, do good. Pursue doing good. Do good. And then he talks about peace. He says, seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it is an interesting word. It actually means to hunt it down. Any of you hunters? Anybody? 
All right, a couple of you, all right. Uh, I used to live in Colorado, and, and we actually loved when, when it snowed because it was way easier to track game. We called it the white hunter. And it's this amazing way of, I'm going to find the tracks, and I'm going to hunt this down. This is the word that he is using. He says, hunt it down. Peace is going to be elusive. Find it. And if you can't find it, seek after it. And if you can't just seek after it, you need to hunt it down. It's amazing. The reason I know Peter is not talking about this idea of outer circumstances is because the psalm he quotes from, Psalm 34, actually says this. It says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. It says further, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It says further, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. That's the context in which he says the psalmist seek peace and pursue it. And Peter quotes it to the church that is experiencing persecution, is experiencing troubles. Well, what is peace? I've got to define it to some extent, right? What is, what is it? Well, peace in the Old Testament was called shalom. But see, shalom was not just simply the absence of conflict. It was also the presence of something. It was the presence of wholeness. The presence of completeness. So when you had two rival kingdoms and they would fight each other and they'd be at conflict for years and years and years, when those kings would come together to make a treaty and say, okay, we will cease aggressions, that was this idea of making shalom, making wholeness. Our two kingdoms, our two rival tribes are now back at peace. Uh, When you had a relationship and there was conflict and friction, Right? When that would be restored, it was considered to bring shalom or bring wholeness back to the relationship. Actually, Job talks about that his whole household and his flocks and herds are in a state of shalom, in a state of wholeness. How does he know? He says, I looked at my animals and not one sheep was missing. See, it's a complete number right there that he's talking about. So peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of something better and more significant, the presence of wholeness. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that when I look at our lives, my life included, or maybe my life especially, right? You guys look all very nice. You look very put together. Uh, I see it's, it's very complex. There's many facets to life, right? Like there, there's the physical, there's the relational, the emotional, the spiritual. All those factors, all those facets coming together. And any time one of them is out of alignment, I'm not at peace. I lose my peace. I was in the army. I drove uh, a tank. Uh, but uh, in our unit, we had a whole bunch of big, huge trucks how many of you have driven truck or have driven a big standard? Well, I call it a standard. Like some of you are like, what's a standard? I know, you're young. I'm sorry. It's a stick shift. Okay, you guys know what a stick shift is? You're like, no, it's all. 
man, it's like, it's so sad for me. Like in Germany, you can't get a license if you don't know how to drive a stick, right? It's just like, and then I come over here and I see these amazing sports cars and all of them have what? Automatic. It's terrible. Okay. Uh, anyways, so see the things that cause me dis-ease, right? I've just lost my peace. All right. However, so my point is when you're trying to get this thing into gear, right? This is what's supposed to happen. But if you don't clutch it just right, and some of you have to clutch it, put it out of gear, pop the clutch, put the clutch back in, put it back in gear. You guys, some of you are nodding, all right? If it doesn't happen, here's what happens. This is the absence of shalom, right? Now, think of that image in your life. Anytime one of these factors, outward peace, maybe even physical peace, right? Are you healthy or are you struggling with a sickness? Uh, Relational, emotional, spiritual. Anytime one of these factors is out of whack, what you have is you have lost peace. Let me try to illustrate it for us. All right? I'm going to illustrate it by the story of the Christmas couple, Mary and Joseph. You remember the story, right? The beautiful young couple, she is pregnant. They're on this just epic journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay, let's hold on. Let's rewind the tape. Why are they going to Bethlehem? They've been told. Well, who told them? Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, told them, hey, you're under my rule. You go to Bethlehem. You be registered. See, they were not at a state of peace. You can say, well, but there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that had just like spread all over the then known world, right? That was what was going on. Well, the Pax Romana was won by bloodshed and warfare. It was maintained by strict and brutal justice. It was ultimately something that was oppression. It was oppressive to the people that lived under it. And so Mary and Joseph outwardly, physically, if you will, lived in a place where there was no peace. They were being ruled by the Romans. And and see, the country itself had gotten to a place where there was a whole group of people, namely the Zealots. And the Zealots made it their mission to assassinate high-ranking Roman soldiers or officials, or what they considered Jewish uh, sympathizers. Wow. See, the zealots were murderers. They were assassins, which is crazy because down the road, as you keep reading the story, Jesus picks who? He picks one of the assassins. He picks Simon the zealot, to be one of his disciples, which is crazy. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Pastor Aaron gets up and he's like, this is my friend Guido here. Like, he, is, he is 6'5", and he is a hitman for the mob. He's going to be one of our pastors. And you're like, whoa. Oh, man, that seems like a bad idea, right? That's what's going on in Jesus' life. This is the, the outward circumstances of Mary and Joseph. Their country is not at peace. Their country is oppressed by Roman rule. How about relationally? How are they doing relationally? Oh, it's so sweet, you know, and he's so caring and so concerned. No, they just, I mean, this is weeks prior. They're talking about getting a divorce, 
right? I mean, you remember the story. What happens? Mary, a young teenage virgin, is engaged to Joseph. They're going to get married. They're going to have a fantastic life. They're going to have like eight kids. It's going to be amazing. And then the angel shows up. And the angel tells Mary that she will bear the Messiah. God himself will be born through her. And so now she's pregnant. And I guess at first she can hide that. And then there's no hiding anymore. And Joseph finds out that she is pregnant. And, and, and all he knows is, it wasn't me. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I promise. I know it wasn't you. It was the Holy Spirit. And then relational rift ensues. It's the absence of shalom. The absence of peace is what's happening. See, these guys are now in conflict and when we read in Matthew chapter 1, I think it's verse 19, Joseph vowed to divorce her quietly. I don't think he was just going to slink away. I believe he talked with her. He was not going to put her to open shame. But I believe Joseph talked with Mary and he said, Mary, I don't know what happened. I don't know what you were thinking. I really love you, but I cannot marry you. We're going to have to get a divorce. I don't know about you. If I, I've never gotten to that place with my wife, but we've had some conflict. And when we have conflict, it's not just done and over. Even though it's like, okay, I apologized, right? Why is it always me that apologized? I don't. Anyways, uh, so I apologized. I asked her forgiveness. She extended that forgiveness, right? There's reconciliation, but we're not quite restored at that very moment. It takes some time for me to get to that place where, all right, Full restoration. We're moving forward. Now, they just talked about getting a divorce. And now they're in a stressful journey that's a long, long way if you don't have a car. Right? And they're heading down to Bethlehem. And they're still in the back of their mind. is all that uproar, all that unrest, all that conflict. That still sits there. Do you think they were at peace relationally? I think working toward it. But probably still some dis-ease. How about emotionally? Do you think that they were just emotionally well-adjusted and just happy? No. She is pregnant She's expecting her first child. She doesn't know what to expect. She doesn't have any of the modern conveniences, right? She doesn't have any anesthesia, any doctor, any like option for C-section. I mean, it is just, she is headed down away from family, away from where she's used to be, and she's going to have a baby. There's some anxiety. I remember, uh, we have four children, the last ones were twins. And I remember when Andrea told me, hey, uh, baby one is doing really well. Baby one? What are you talking about? Oh, well, baby two is doing well too, and ha-ha, right? And she pulls out the ultrasound picture, and it's just like, oh! <laughs> and man, I'm not sure I could think of anything other than the fact that we were having twins for like the next six months. It's like, oh, oh, I'm like a zombie trying to work, right? It's like, I'm having twins. You're supposed to preach. I'm having twins, right? It was crazy. So there was some anxiety. There was some, 
whoo, it's, it's happening. It's, we're going to have a baby. How's that going to go? I know we've had two singlets. How's two going to go? I don't know. There was anxiety. That's normal. So here's Mary and Joseph in the first century Palestine going to give birth to their very first baby. There was some emotional unrest. There was some emotional dis-ease. Right? How about spiritually? And you're like, okay, time out. Do not tell me that spiritually they were not at ease because she is carrying the Son of God. Yeah, that's true. But do you know what's going on in the nation of Israel? See, for us, we go Malachi chapter 4 and we flip the page and then it's Matthew. It's like, oh, look, Jesus. No, 400 years of silence. That's what really happened. For 400 years, God didn't say anything. And the Romans came in and took over. And see, the Israelites, they were like, last time this happened to us, God was not very pleased with us. It was the Babylonians that came, and we were taken into exile. This time the Romans came in. Oh, man, is God angry? Is God going to judge us? Are we going to go into exile? We're trying to be good. And then 400 years, they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. That's like, I mean, think of it for just a moment. This is like all Bible preaching churches stop preaching. And your kids and your grandkids and their kids and their great-grandkids. And for 400 years, they, there's no preaching. There's no communication of the word of God. That would be brutal, wouldn't it? That's where Mary and Joseph find themselves right now. It's crazy. Now, here's the reality. For each one of us, peace is absolutely elusive. Think of it. Physically. How are we doing physically? Just on a global scale. Well, we just had the Vegas shooting. We had the shooting at a church in Texas, right? We have North Korea going crazy. We have the Middle East in uproar. Make things worse. I don't know if you like watch the news, but uh, recently we went through a number of weeks where we'd actually been threatened as a church by someone uh, who was going to come and kill us all. And it was it was intense. And so, like, for several weeks, we just kept this very quiet. We're trying to have the police do their work and not kind of get, get sidetracked by anything we said. And I remember it was a Thursday uh, mid-morning, and I was pulling out my phone, and I'd gotten a text, and it said, SWAT team went in and arrested the guy that's been threatening you. And I'm like, oh. And I read it to the team. And I said, hey, the SWAT team just went in. They arrested the guy. They went to his house. They confiscated his assault rifle. It's amazing. And, and see, I thought, oh, everyone on our team, all our staff, they're all pretty cool. They're all just like, yeah, show up to work every day as if nothing has happened. Show up to church as if nothing has happened. Right? They're, they're just cool. Oh, no. In that moment, there was some whooping and some hollering. There was some high-fiving. And it was just like, Okay, what has just happened? See, there was tension that they just didn't let on. These are tough guys. And at that moment, ah, there was release. See, we're not in a place of peace. 
So that's, this is on a global scale, on an outward scale. How about peace physically on a, on a health scale? See, we have people in our church that are struggling with cancer, are dealing with various diagnoses that they do not know where they're going to lead. They're, they're longing for peace physically, but what they have is pain and agony and unrest. And I know some of you in this room are experiencing that. There's some of you here that are experiencing sickness, are experiencing chronic pain, are experiencing uh, the physical absence of wholeness. How about emotionally? Man, I know we're not doing well emotionally. We are the most medicated nation in the entire world. Every year, the United States spends $201 billion on the mental health industry. Wow. There's, I mean, I researched for this message, anxiety disorders. And I was like, oh, dear. There's a lot there. And it's just one after another after another. And there's phobias and disorders and anxiety. And people are under the weight of that. Under the weight of anxiety. Under the weight of depression. Under the weight of an emotional dis-ease. Longing for peace. Tell me that's not true. Come on. We are longing for that. And yet it is absent. How about relational? Well, the problem that we all have is that each one of us lives in a fallen world, in a sinful world, and we, by nature and choice, add to that, right? Every one of us adds to the sin problem on a daily basis. And see, here's, here's, here's how sin works. Sin is like a grenade that was tossed into the middle of a room. And when it exploded, the shrapnel touched All lives and every relationship, relationship between parents and their children, between children and their parents, between siblings, between friends, between co-workers, between spouses, all of it has been affected, right? And we're in this constant state of friction and of just real, like of fighting, And it's reality for many of us every single day. Relational peace is hard to find, and all of us long for it. How about spiritually? Spiritual peace. You're like, well, I'm trying. Here's the problem. Spiritually, we are in enemy or in enmity against God. And some of you are like, whoa, that's not true. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know about all you. I mean, this is my first time here, and I'm not really a Christian. Uh, I'm indifferent toward God at best. I'm not at war with God. I am not uh, an enemy of God. Well, see, here's the problem. Biblically, not only are you an enemy of God, God's an enemy of you. Let me show it to you. Romans 8, 7 says that the mind that is set on the flesh, that is the mind outside of a Christ influence, outside of a Holy Spirit work, transformation, that mind is hostile to God. 
Wow, that's no good. Psalm 711, you should memorize it just because of the reference. It's fantastic. Psalm 711 says God is a righteous judge. The ESV says that he has, feels indignation every day. The New American Standard and the King James actually say that, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Wow. See, God isn't indifferent. God is righteous. God is holy. God is pure. And because we are not, he is at enmity with us. See, see, the problem is this. The problem is that men and women have done this. They have stiff-armed God. Said, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. And they have walked away. They said, I will do it my way because I know better. I don't know God. I don't need God. I just need my way. I'm fine without God. I'm going to do it this way. Right? And the consequence of that then is that the wrath of God, Romans uh, 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women. Oh, that's our spiritual state. That's terrible. You're like, oh man, that's a, that's a cheery Advent sermon. Thank you. I'm here for you. Here's where this turns. It turns because God, in his grace and his wisdom, 600 years before Mary and Joseph made their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 600 years before the angel made the pronouncement that this child would be born, 600 years before Messiah entered the world, there was a promise made. And God said this in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. There's a promise that is, goes like this. It's for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. See, this promise had been made that peace would come. The promise had been made that Jesus would enter this world and he would bring us peace. That's fantastic news. Now, now let's go back to, to this, these issues. Physical peace. You say, well, if Jesus promises peace, why do we see war? Why do we see conflict? Why do we see terrorism? Why do we see this, this just cacophony of warfare all around us? Well, one day, Jesus says, he will make an end to sin, which is the cause of all that. One day... Jesus says, there will be a place where sin is not allowed, where darkness is not allowed, where destruction is not allowed. One day, there will be a place that will be at perfect peace. The same is true for the relational peace, right? One day, there's going to come a place where there will be no more relational conflict. How about physically? Romans chapter 12, not Romans, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, says what? 
It says that he will wipe every tear and he will heal every disease. That's the promise that we have. See, now, but the amazing thing is that while maybe physically on a global scale, physically on a health scale, we don't have any guarantees that Jesus is is making that whole right now, right here. On a relational scale, there's great hope for us. Why? See, because what is the biggest destroyer of relationships? It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. Right? And because we have been forgiven, because we've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus poured on us, what are we able to do? We're able to extend that. We're able to forgive in turn. We're able to see reconciliation in relationships. We're able to see restoration in relationships. That's the promise that we have as Christians. That we, have, we live no longer in a place where bitterness and anger and unforgiveness have to rule. We don't. Now, I realize, room this size, there's probably a number of you that are like, but I could never forgive him. But I could never forgive her. Jesus put his forgiveness on you so that you would be able to forgive others. That restoration and peace could come back into your life. That's the promise of, of this relational peace under Jesus. We've seen it in marriages in our church. It's been amazing. We've seen restoration. We've seen forgiveness. We have seen marriages that we thought were, were too far gone. Well, with Jesus, nothing is too far gone, right? But marriages where we thought, this is it, this is over, there's no hope. And Jesus came and intervened, and he worked forgiveness and reconciliation and is now in the process, slowly but surely and amazingly, to do his work of restoration and of peace. It's awesome. How about emotionally? Emotional peace. Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with depression? Do you struggle with fear? I'm sure some of you do. I'm sure that there's people in this room that know what it's like to be terrified. To wake up in the middle of the night gasping for breath. And to be sure of instant doom. That's what a panic attack in the middle of the night feels like. If you've never experienced it, praise God for it. Worship a little bit louder when we get the band back up here. See, here's here's what I know about emotional peace. About five years ago, I was pastoring a church in Austin, Texas, and I preached the night service, hopped in my car, was driving home, to, to be with my family. It's about 9 p.m. on the freeway in Austin. And a young man who had determined that this would be his last day on earth committed suicide by car. He just happened to pick my car. As I was driving along the freeway, 65 miles an hour, a young man came at an angle running at my car, struck him, 
flipped over my car, pulled over, jumped out of the car, looked back. And just as I looked back, saw a big truck run him over. For 10, 12 weeks after this, I burst into tears at random times of the day. Every time I closed my eyes, it didn't matter if it was to go to sleep or to wash my hair, I would see that moment. I'd see it over and over and over again. It's devastating. I remember driving the car and I would have to pull over because I couldn't see because I was just weeping. It happened week after week, day after day. It was horrible. I started to have panic attacks, have some level of anxiety disorder. Some said, oh, it'll be okay. And I'd be, how do you know? Maybe it's going to get worse. I don't know. And I was going through this time, and I was, I was trying to read my Bible, and I was trying to find hope, and I couldn't. And I was hoping that it would go away, and I tried to fill my mind with other things, and nothing would go away. And, and you know what I found? I found that the only thing that would break through my anxiety and would give me Peace, not just peace for a second, but peace that would last until the next time it happened. (laughs) Was to start praying prayers of thanks. It's crazy. And I I would start, because see, I had gotten to a place where I was like, I know God, you're good eternally. I know you're good cosmically, but I don't think you're good to me. Have you ever felt that? I know you're a God of peace out there, but you're not a God of peace in here. And in me is turmoil and is anxiety and is fear that I don't even know how to put into words. And I, I believe you're good. I believe you're sovereign. But I feel like I'm somehow out of that sphere. And a friend of mine told me that's not true. Look at your life. Look at who God is. Look at what God has done. And so I started systematically thanking God. I I thanked him for who he is. I thanked him that I believed he was sovereign. And I believed that he was good. At least cosmically. took me a while to get to that he's good to me. And I prayed out prayers that I thanked him for Jesus. And I thanked him for what Jesus had done. And then something weird happened, and I remembered a friend of mine had told me, oh, I sometimes just thank God for all my physical systems, all my bodily systems. I'm like, okay, that sounds crazy. I'm going to try it. And and so I started praying, and I thanked him for my eyes that I could see. And I thanked him for my ears that I could hear. And I thanked him for my nose that I could smell. I thanked him for my cardiovascular system. I thanked him that my legs worked and I wasn't paralyzed. I thanked him that my mind worked and I could remember things. I thanked him, like, and I started just every part of my body. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's the only thing that got me from a place of fear and anxiety and utter turmoil to a place where God restored peace. It's interesting. It's a scripture that talks about this. Philippians chapter 4 says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Thanks, Paul. That's helpful. 
However, he goes on, right? He, he doesn't just stay there. He goes on and he says, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so I started thanking him and I started praying to him and I started asking him to intervene. And it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a promise there. There's a promise that our God will bring peace. And I experienced it. And I'm glad to report that it is much, much, much better than it's been. But there's days, particularly driving at night, when I can't see so well because the rain is pouring, that I have to pull over. But see, there's something even bigger than my emotional trauma, my emotional peace. So you're all like, oh man, I'm sorry this happened to you. Glad you found relief. Glad you found reprieve. There's something much better, much bigger, much more significant that happens in Christmas. That happens with the baby in the manger. That happens with Jesus coming to earth. And that is when Jesus comes, peace comes with him because he is our peace. This is what the scripture teaches us. Jesus is our peace Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It's talking about the Son of God, and it actually says that in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, through Jesus, God the Father would reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of His cross. What are you saying? There's this, that when Jesus hung on that cross, he hung there in my place. He was punished there for my sin. He paid the price and the consequence for my debt. And through that blood, through that shed blood, he made peace. See, the the idea that peace has come through the blood of Jesus is also in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. I don't know about you, but that's me. I was once far off from Christ. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, Jesus himself is our Peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, he's talking about both spiritual peace and physical racial peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. We don't have time for that, but it's amazing. And finally, my favorite, favorite passage on this. Romans chapter 5. Paul writes this to the church in Rome, and he says... Therefore, since we've been justified by faith. Now, 
man, Romans 3 and 4 talk all about justification of being made right with God. Right? Justification I heard once defined as it is that God is 100% for you and never against you. That's great. So he says, since you've been justified by faith, by nothing you could do, by nothing you could bring, by nothing you could pay, by nothing you could offer, right? Since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The one who is the righteous judge, the one who is angry with the wicked every day, the one whose wrath is revealed from heaven against all our unrighteousness, against all our sin. We've been made to be at peace with him. The one who knows everything, sees everything, knows every motive, sees every sin, every word, every thought, every action we have ever committed. See, I mean, it's mind-boggling how good this news is. The one who once was our enemy is now at peace with us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It gets better. I know it's hard to believe, but verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only do you have peace with God through the baby that grew up to be a man and who would die on the cross. Not only do you have peace, you have one more thing. Access. Peace is the prerequisite for that access. See, because the salvation we have in Jesus, the peace we have in Jesus, not only leads to a ceasing of hostility, as awesome as it is, don't get me wrong, that's fantastic. It also led to something more. It's led to our adoption as sons and daughters. When we look at Christmas, when we look at peace as one of the Advent uh, themes we celebrate, we have to understand it is more than the ceasing of hostility. It is more than the absence of conflict. It is wholeness. It is that all things have been restored to how they ought to be. Sons and daughters. Forgiven and reconciled. Restored to perfect relationship. I'll leave you with this thought. Who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a cup of water? His child. Father in heaven, I pray that at this Christmas time, this Christmas season, we would not just be lost in the hustle and bustle, but we would have times of celebrating that peace that Jesus brings, that access that Jesus provides, celebrating the love of the Father that, that we've been given, we've been invited into. Father, I pray for us as Christ followers that you would uh, make peace a re reality in our lives, that um, would be absolutely astonishing. I pray that we would see it relationally. We would see it emotionally. We would see it spiritually.
Father, I pray for those who do not yet know you. Would you draw them to Jesus? Would you reveal the Son to them? Lord Jesus, would you save men and women today that do not yet know you, do not yet know the peace you give, the reconciliation you provide, and the access you grant. I pray, God, do it today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Matthias for leading us this morning? Thank you, brother. Well, as we reflect on all we've just heard from God's word, uh, we're going to turn now to a time of response. And we'll respond in a number of different ways this morning, through giving, through the receiving of the Lord's Supper together, through singing, and we'll throw in uh, a few application questions and prayer points for you to chew on as well this week. But we'll, res- we'll start our response through giving. And so if our financial stewards would go ahead and come. We'll start our response through giving. Now, if you're new or if you're a guest here, a couple of things that are good for you to know about this time of giving. We view this as a time of worship, just like every other part of our service. Um, But if you're a guest, if you're new, really, uh, you're under no obligation to give. So please don't feel obligated in any way if you're new or if you're a guest. But for the rest of us who will be giving, just a reminder that the scriptures instruct us to take care to give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 being our key verse here, uh, which says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so if you give, as you give, let's do so with that biblical principle in mind. If you have questions about how to give, there's uh, information for you as well on the, up on the screens about how to text to give, uh, information about how to get to our website where you can give. There's also information at the bottom of your weekly. At the very bottom, there's some information there for you as well about giving. And then you can also talk to the folks out at the Connect Desk, and they can get you pointed in the right direction on that as well. Uh, Now, as the communion baskets come around here in just a minute as well, uh, I'm going to read some discussion questions and prayer points for us to consider this week for our community groups and for personal study. These are also in your weekly, listed there for you, but I'll read them for us now as well. Number one, how do you define peace? And does your definition of peace line up more with the world's definition or with God's definition, as we've just heard? Number two, what things in your life are currently robbing you of peace? How is Christ inviting you to experience his peace this Advent season? And then number three, shalom is the presence of wholeness, not simply the absence of conflict. How is God growing you in wholeness as well? Okay, we're a praying people too, and so here's a couple prayer points to get you started this week as well. Number one, you can be praying that God would bring greater peace and wholeness to all of our lives during this Advent and Christmas season. Number two, you can be praying that God would use us to be agents of his peace in a world that is full of conflict. And number three, you can be praying for opportunities to share the message of peace with those who are not currently at peace with God through Jesus. I'll invite the band to go ahead and come now as well. And as they set up, we'll also respond this morning through the Lord's Supper which the Bible speaks of as a memorial meal for all Christians, the bread and the juice reminding us of Jesus' body and blood and of the sacrifice that he made for you and me. The Apostle Paul in the Scriptures reminds us of Jesus' instructions concerning the communion meal in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul saying this to us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, looks like all of you have the communion elements by now, so we're going to go ahead and pray. And then as we respond in song after that, feel free to take the communion elements as you see fit. Let's pray together now. Lord God, thank you for Pastor Matthias. Thank you for Cross and Crown Church and for their friendship in the gospel, their partnership with us here at Sound City. Lord God, we thank you also for today's reminder of the peace and the wholeness and the shalom available to us only in you. Father God, cause us to be a people marked and changed by your peace this Advent season. And we pray all of this through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Let's respond together.